Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support the show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. Starting off with some news, Firefox 63 got released way back in October 23rd, but I somehow neglected to see that. And so what was interesting to me about it was that it now has custom elements and shadow uh, DOM in as an officially supported feature, and it also has a fonts editor. Now, granted, that last one's a bit less important, but kind of useful if you're a uh, really need to dive into some of the font features and what you can do. But what's cool is the custom elements in the Shadow DOM. Now, what these actually mean is that custom elements are additional HTML elements that you can create and that has kind of a JavaScript API built around it. And so this allows you to do all sorts of interesting kind of out of, you know, native browser supported options that, you know, you can create your own elements that do their own things, but are all tied together so that you inherit the native abilities that the browser has. And now the Shadow DOM uh, has been talked about for ages and different applications of it. But what it's really solving, though, is the problem where if you embed a you know, element that is included from another site, you know, and think of these as social media is kind of the most uh, common examples where you say, put in a Facebook feed, for example, and some, somehow, you know, sometimes it will actually inherit the CSS properties of the site, which can be problematic if you don't want to overwrite and break your implementation. So what the Shadow DOM does is basically say, all right, this is encapsulated entirely within itself, and you can optionally allow the ability for the site to modify that element, but really it's kind of keeping everything together so you can essentially just plug that bit of code in of whatever site you want, and away you go, and it won't break regardless of whatever that site is attempting to do. So pretty cool that these are officially supported. You know, Chrome's had some aspects of this for a while as well. Uh, not all browsers are equal on this, but getting there. And it's all in this kind of idea to get to the point of doing these web components. And so when we get to that, it'll be pretty neat to see what can actually be done and how it makes a developer's life a bit easier. So on November 23rd, WordPress 5.0 release candidate was uh, officially put out to the world. It has, I believe, Gutenberg version 4.5, though. In reality, those versions don't mean a lot. They're just a collection that, of uh, fixes and you know updates and that kind of thing put together. Uh, it supports PHP 7.3, which is the upcoming PHP release. And so... This was originally scheduled for the 27th in terms of the actual WordPress 5.0 release, but that seems to be uh, slipping to some later date for more testing. Uh, And part of the problem with this is a lot of controversy, not only around Gutenberg itself, but kind of moving past that controversy into the release date for WordPress 5.0 
a lot of the concern has been that there's still a bunch of open bugs and uh, issues that are around this. It is such a large release and such a, you know, overall uh, big change to the ecosystem that really there should be a ton more effort and time put into testing. And there has been a lot. But because of this and the quantity of bugs, there's a lot of folks in the community that feel that, hey, maybe we, we don't rush this. Even if it slips to January or whatever, we give it that time to really continue along and make sure that it's really solid. But it's unclear if that will actually be followed or not. It seems like even though it slipped a little bit for the uh, official release, uh, the release candidate, in reality, a release candidate really should be a we think it's almost perfect, so test out any last-minute bugs, but it appears that they're kind of treating this release candidate more as a, well, we think it's close, but we know there's a bunch of bugs, so we'll probably fix that before the release. Either way, start testing it now and see what you get. Uh, if you don't want to have the Gutenberg editor available right out the gate, uh, you can install the classic editor plugin. Uh, that's what I'm going to be doing on all my sites. Uh, not that I don't want to give the option for Gutenberg, but I want to phase that in slowly. So I'm going to make sure that's there and then start testing individually. Uh, but there isn't a huge need for the sites I run for this uh, because they don't, most of them are fairly static small business sites, so they just don't do a lot of updating. Uh, so it's kind of a slower, slower uh, move in. Uh, plus, I use the uh, uh, site origin. Uh, page builder plugin and I got to figure out how all that will go together but either way you'll want to make sure things won't immediately break and at least you're watching and seeing what this will be doing for your sites. A couple links and resources I found that were uh, use uh, that I thought were kind of cool. Uh, there's a little uh, good uh, github uh, repo out there that has these 33 javascript concepts that are kind of core to the language and just a breakdown of a bunch of things that are useful that you'll, you know, you will learn as you're kind of going through JavaScript training and, you know, tutorials and stuff, but that can be kind of problematic to understand sometimes or difficult. So pretty cool breakdown of those. There was a neat um, little bit of code and snippets uh, around background clip text. And so auto prefixer 9.1 added support for this background clip text, which means it's basically supported in all modern browsers you know, with prefixes. And so what this is is where you can clip a background image to a foreground text. So say you have a header, you know, um, header uh, bit of uh, text out there that says, you know, my website name. You want to have a gradient behind it and it clipped just to that text. Well, now you can. You can actually use the background image, set it to a gradient, set the text to clip, and then make the color of that text transparent. And what you end up with is a gradient background on this text that's basically supported in all modern browsers. And then you just set a color you know, above that, and it has a fallback. So it works pretty darn well. Uh, pretty cool. Add some additional design abilities. I mean, granted, this has been out there for a long time, but now that it's much closer to being universally supported, definitely dive in, and it's got a great fallback, so check it out.
So there's a cool article about redesigning your product and your website for dark mode. And if you're, certainly if you're in the uh, computer industry, dark modes have always been of interest and uh, preferred in some ways. Uh, so a lot of products and a lot of different uh, web applications and applications itself, mobile and desktop, have been trying to do this dark mode. I tend to turn it on personally for just about everything. I just prefer how it looks to my eyes. It seems like it's easier on them. And so there's a good article about redesign your product and website for this. You know, every case is different, but, you know, the example that not all dark colors are the same, not all blacks are the same, and maybe you need to kind of tweak that depending on what you're doing and how it fits in your design as well. But the general idea is designing for that darker look to either be easier on the eyes and that kind of thing. So check it out. Cool little article. There's a good um, thing about WordPress and how to do A-B split testing in, in WordPress using um, Google Analytics and Google Optimize. And so pretty cool little article. I, I've just personally been diving into this a little bit with a different website I'm doing and seeing what I can do, putting together, say, like Google Analytics and Tag Manager and Optimize all together is actually a pretty powerful combination. You know, I've talked about this in the past and looked a little bit at it, but having done it more and more as I'm going forward, I have to give props to them. They've, they've done a good job of that, especially Google Tag Manager, where it makes it really easy to just add on some additional tracking, whereas in the past, not that it was too difficult, but certainly a lot um, harder to do than just clicking a few buttons and saying, hey, I want to track this link in this goal. Or I want to say, uh, which was really cool, uh, track all the YouTube plays and kind of the percentage played of the U embedded YouTube videos on the site. And so that was really neat. And so just check that kind of stuff out. But doing that A-B split testing is a neat idea where Really, you just set up a, a test you want to do and say, I want this button to be green. And then you set it to that. You kind of find it on your site in like the Google Optimize uh, Inspect Elements kind of view. Set it to the color you want and then say, run the test for however long and see what the results are. And so I look forward to doing a lot more in the future once I get a couple more things sorted out on my sites and see what I can do and see what makes sense. Uh, and actually helps people either navigate or drive in the way that I want them to on the site. And finally, there is a good um, roundup of design resources on this degreeless.design site. And it's a bunch of articles and uh, considerations and stuff where the author basically you know, went to this design school and shared what he thought was the core of all of that and what resources it makes a lot of sense to read and to understand. So kind of check that out, but a, a good roundup of those kind of things and may help you in your site and kind of, or products and kind of figuring out what you should really be looking at uh, and consider. And finally, I kind of wanted to talk about user preference in websites. And so there has been this increasing trend to really give a lot more control over a, a given website to, you know, your visitors and your viewers coming in. Uh, traditionally, you would tend to 
create your site, you know, put all the information out there, uh, unless it was really like an app type uh, site or application, then you might not have too many like preferences or things that just didn't really come up uh, within a site itself. But there are now a ton of options that various browsers and uh, operating systems and those kind of things uh, have. You know, some of those we've talked about, but you know, they could be like dark mode or reduced motion, uh, different color and typography, uh, no tracking, that kind of stuff. So how do you really support that as a site and what should, should you and shouldn't you? Well, it is hard to truly support all those different things. Um, it's kind of an incremental improvement. Plus, a lot of these are relatively new in their support and what you can do. Uh, take dark mode, for example. There will be a uh, kind of like at supports uh, kind of setting on there that you put in your CSS. And if so, then you can switch over your styles. Uh, but that kind of begs the question to me like, all right, how do you, how do you kind of give that ability uh, to folks, you know, that either don't know it exists or they want to explicitly enable it for certain sites? You know, if you've decided to, say, with the new Mac OS, turn on dark mode overall, and same with Windows, for example. Windows 10 1809 has that ability to do kind of a dark mode. Uh, so say you've turned that on, and you want to have all the sites that you're visiting follow those same kind of stylistic uh, designs. Well, I do like the idea where it just inherits whatever design you want, but what about those operating systems and folks that, can't quite support that yet do you then give like a button or a set of preferences to say hey if you want to turn this on you know click this button over here i, I kind of like that idea as having both you know you start off with the default uh, so you're not kind of bombarding uh, folks with uh, the overall you know set of preferences and things you need to do but you still allow the site itself to be uh, changed Though this doesn't work for everything. So, for example, with the reduced motion, it wouldn't do much good to say, click this button to reduce motion after you've already loaded the site and all the motion has happened. That is something that comes along with uh, within the settings and preferences. And so maybe that one makes a lot of sense. It's just accept in the background and then correspondingly change how your site views and what happens when you scroll or you navigate your site. You know, same uh, color and typography, same kind of idea where, you know, folks may increase the size of their site or if you need to support, you know, color with a bunch of different, uh, you know, color blindness type of settings, well, those might be better in the background or you just take into consideration the types of design things you're doing as your site itself is being developed. But then you finally get to kind of the privacy types of preferences. Those might be the cookies um, or the tracking or the data storage. You know, some of these are, you know, where you can enable them in the browser, like Firefox, you can turn on like the no tracking. And if your site supports it, then it will say, okay, cool. I'm not going to, you know, track you with any of the normal analytic cookies and those kind of things. Uh, whereas in the GDPR, you need to explicitly accept for the cookies and privacy settings. So how do you do this with, you know, not going to a site and then all of a sudden being hit with 
you know, 20 pop-ups saying, hey, turn on this or turn on that or what about this? You know, part of the thing is you want to get your information across, make it as easy as possible for folks to accept or not, you know, what uh, you want to do with the tracking and those kind of things, um, but not overwhelm them with just too much stuff. So I think it does take a lot of work to really kind of go down the list of things and be like, well, what do I support? What even matters? What's important? You know, and then how do I give the end user the support, you know, and the the preference? So something like dark mode might not make a ton of sense if, you know, you're just a small business website and you're just providing hours and information. Nice to do if you've got the developer to just kind of throw that in, but it also takes a whole set of design considerations, so it may not make sense. But if you have someone that's in your uh, application or site a lot, well, then maybe it does make a lot of sense to support a lot of this stuff because you want to make it as easy as possible for them to really navigate and understand and make it easy to use your site. So something to think about. Uh, there's a lot more preferences, a lot more options coming out than there used to be. But I think it's a good thing and really does help give some of the control back. It's just that fine balance between not overwhelming you know, visitors come to your site and making it easy for them to customize. So follow this podcast on Twitter at BitVBite and Facebook at slash BitVBite. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.